today on the Wood Preacher Podcast. Conspiracy theories when a plan comes together and false revelation. I'm Brett Jensen and this is the Wood Preacher Podcast. Today, our Come Follow Me reading for the Doctrine and Covenants uh, will bring us to sections 27 and 28 in the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, let's go ahead and dig right into some conspiracies that were happening in the church. This is section 27, verses 2 through 4. For behold, I say unto you that it mattereth not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, when ye partake of the sacrament, if it so be that ye do it with an eye single to my glory, remembering unto the Father my body, which was laid down for you, and my blood, which was shed for the remission of your sins. Wherefore, a commandment I give unto you, that you shall not purchase wine, neither strong drink, of your enemies. Wherefore, you shall partake of none except it is made new among you, yea, in this my Father's kingdom, which shall be built up upon the earth. Okay, so here we have some direction from the Lord about purchasing wine for the sacrament from people in the surrounding community. This was not a good idea. Enemies of the church, if you look in the context of all of the history of the church, you can see that enemies of the church tried on multiple occasions to poison saints. Um, obviously, concerns about the source of sacrament wine were absolutely legitimate. Uh, if someone snuck something into that wine and suddenly all the members of the church seem to be getting sick and then it could be proclaimed, well, it's a sign that, you know, God doesn't fav favor them. He isn't protecting them. They're all bad. In the meantime, if some of them die, well, you know, that's just the way it works. Um, and, and people would justify this thinking that they were fighting a great enemy in the Church of Jesus Christ. Of course, later mobs would use far less subtle methods to try to get rid of the saints, including murder and brutality of every kind, ultimately driving people from their homes destitute in the dead of winter. And that's the thing about some of these conspiracy theories is it's not really a conspiracy theory if they're really out to get you. And this is important to think about even today, because we may not live in a time where mobs forcefully attack saints for their faith here in the United States, although it's probably worth noting that there are places in the world in which Christians are threatened with their lives and well-being for just having their faith. And it is vital to be mindful of our need to fight for religious freedom. Uh, the conveniences we enjoy in the United States are not realized everywhere. 
um, and they're not realized as much as they ought to be even in the United States. That having been said, um, I would like to spend more time emphasizing groups and individuals who underhandedly, who using subtlety, uh, kind of like this situation with tainted sacramental wine, uh, they're using underhanded means to try and poison the saints against one another. This is incredibly important to be wary of those who bring their religion of politics into everything. Uh, for many people, this isn't to say you can't be involved in politics, and if you are, how dare you? It's not to say that at all. You can have political beliefs, even strong political beliefs, and spend time and effort and energy uh, trying to accomplish political objectives, altering public policy in a way that is appropriate and good. That's perfectly fine. But there are those who it becomes a religion for them, that more important than what the prophet says is what their own social views on society say. Um, and if there's a contradiction between the two, they assume that the prophet is wrong. Those who use presentism to judge prophets like Brigham Young and Joseph Smith, for example, are frequently guilty of this type of idea. The I know better than they did. You know, I, I know so much better about how to run things. And they'll look at others to try and persuade them to jump onto this bandwagon using appeals to pride and flattery and envy in an attempt to sow discord between members of the church or to divide the membership of the church from its leaders. These individuals who do this are false prophets. Let me give some general examples. These can take the form of seemingly benign Instagram or Twitter or Facebook accounts or other types of media producers, uh, reporters for newspapers, um, and many of these individuals will draw from all manner of scripture even, but they'll never encourage repentance. An example that's a little more specific is that just recently announcements were made regarding murals in pioneer-era temples, such as the Manti Temple in Manti, Utah. Um, and for structural and safety reasons, these murals will need to be removed from the temple, perhaps only being partially preserved through photography and in the archives of the church. A number of individuals who frequently find fault with prophets from Joseph Smith and Brigham Young to Spencer W. Kimball and Ezra Taft Benson to Thomas S. Monson and Russell M. Nelson were suddenly upset about the disregard in this change in policy for, quote, our, quote, pioneer, quote, heritage. Of course, they do want faithful members that have pioneer heritage to be concerned about decisions made by church leaders. But it's not because they want to honor any kind of pioneers. It's 
only to increase the numbers of those who find fault with decisions made by prophets and apostles. On the one hand, you know, the, the standards of the church are wrong and evil and racist and sexist and homophobic. And on the other hand, oh, we value our heritage so much. Be wary of these false prophets who wish to poison your faith. And this is important because whether they're actually poisoning sacramental emblems or poisoning saints against the apostles of the Lord, it's, it's vital that we remember that there are forces actively trying to dismantle, dismantle what God is trying to establish among his people. Now, changes are made in policy uh, in a variety of ways and uh, different times and, uh, and different places. Uh, frequently, changes are made to promote safety and faith. Currently, water is used in the sacrament instead of wine. These changes revealed in this section of Doctrine and Covenants are a great example of a policy change that was meant to uh, increase the safety of the saints in spite of the fact that Jesus originally did use wine and that the scriptures point to wine. And it's very possible that People might have been upset about their cultural heritage being challenged by this new policy. Um, but, you know, that having been said, changes are occasionally made in the administration of all sorts of ordinances, or in how these ordinances are witnessed or recorded. And the key is to never let the details of these things distract from the point distract from the covenant with God. The point of these ordinances is to help individuals to become bound to the Lord. Faith expressed through ordinance and covenant increase the ability of a person to receive power and blessings from the Lord to fulfill their purpose. And it's a terrible tragedy if details surrounding the performance distract from the covenant, the worship, and ultimately the Lord. Recipients of ordinances, as well as those officiating in any capacity, ought to try to follow the counsel of Elder Renland in General Conference about six months ago, who counseled us to deal justly and love mercy. When we are doing our part, we deal justly. We try and do the very best we can in making sure that we are faithful to what we think and have been taught is right. But also love mercy. Be prepared to extend patience and love to those around you, whether they are an ordinance worker, uh, an officiator of some sort, or someone else who's receiving an ordinance or by proxy receiving an ordinance, um, like you, these individuals will inevitably make mistakes, and we could all use mercy. All right, as we uh, continue reading in section uh, 27 in our reading, uh, Jesus describes 
that uh, there will be a time when, according to his great plan, the sacrament will be administered again with many notable participants. Let's read some of these verses, starting in 5 through 7. Behold, this is wisdom in me. Wherefore, marvel not, for the hour cometh that I will drink of the fruit of the vine with you on the earth, and with Moroni, whom I have sent unto you to reveal the Book of Mormon containing the fullness of my everlasting gospel, to whom I have committed the keys of the record of the stick of Ephraim, and also with Elias, to whom I have committed the keys of bringing to pass the restoration of all things spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began concerning the last days. And also John, the son of Zacharias, which Zacharias, he, Elias, visited and gave promise that he should have a son, and his name should be John, and he should be filled with the spirit of Elias. So the Lord indicates here that he and servants from many dispensations will together partake of the sacrament. Um, and he continues on. Let's read a, a few more verses. And also Elijah, unto whom I have committed the keys of the power of turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, that the whole earth may not be smitten with a curse and also with Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, your fathers, by whom the promises remain, and also with Michael or Adam, the father of all, the prince of all, the ancient of days, and also with Peter, James, and John, whom I have sent unto you, by whom I have ordained you and confirmed you to be apostles and as special witnesses of my name, and bear the keys of your ministry and of the same things which I revealed unto them. So that was verses 9 through 12. So we have a, a huge list of names, including Moroni, Elias, John the Baptist, uh, Elijah, Joseph, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, Peter, James, John. Why is the Lord naming so many important names throughout history here for this sacrament service? Um, there are several places throughout the scriptures that indicate the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet, there are still individuals who seem to think that the God of the Old Testament is somehow different than the God of the New Testament. That there was once a God of justice, and then afterwards, after the atonement, he became a God of mercy. Um, that's, that's false doctrine. God didn't change his mind about justice and mercy. There's actually plenty of mercy in the Old Testament, and plenty of justice in the New and plenty of both throughout the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants. And people like that oversimplification of it, uh, but it's not the case. The Lord is actually the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that the Doctrine and Covenants is another witness that God has been prepared for everything all along. This isn't something that changed on a whim. Uh, 
The restoration didn't happen because he was in the mood for one. The organization of the church is not something that Joseph Smith or Peter or Moses came up with. It has always been the Lord working to help his people at any given time come unto him. And changes reflect what is appropriate at any given time. Let's talk about something that was inappropriate that happened at a particular time. Hiram Page received what he called a revelation from a stone. Um, now, it's certainly possible to have stones like the Urim and Thummim described in the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants through which revelation can be seen. Um, however, what Hiram Page was receiving was not that. He was being deceived by Satan. But these revelations were persuasive to many people, and Joseph Smith needed to know how to handle this situation. Now, I recall a time when, in the capacity of a missionary, my companion and I shared the details of Joseph Smith's first vision and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. And the man to whom we were speaking lived in a very modest trailer in east-central Arkansas. He was in an aged recliner, and he had a huge amount of chewing tobacco wedged into his lip while we spake. And he wore an extremely large pair of overalls. I don't recall if he had a shirt on underneath, but he was a large man, rotund. And it appeared that he rarely moved from his comfortable recliner, ever. After sharing the story of Joseph Smith and the Restoration, we asked the man what he thought about it, and whether he believed it might be true. And the man, to our surprise, answered that he absolutely believed the account of Joseph Smith seeing God and bringing forth the Book of Mormon. He then proceeded to explain that he had had similar visions himself, including a vision in which he was commanded to sprint to Washington, D.C. in a single day this from the middle of Arkansas. So here we have this incredibly large and unhealthy man affirming that while he had no idea how he did it, he was in fact able to, without the use of any vehicles, run to Washington, D.C. and back to the middle of Arkansas in a day. Now, being an inexperienced missionary myself, I was a little bit unclear about how to tell this man that while I absolutely believed that God was capable of giving visions and causing miracles to occur, I did not believe at all that he had done that for this man. Uh, my companion at the time was far more experienced and he very appropriately focused on invitations surrounding, surrounding reading the Book of Mormon and the rest of it is really unimportant to the point of this podcast. Um, the situation with Hiram Page certainly had some differences to that. But uh, as, as I think about my situation, I imagine Joseph Smith feeling something like what I felt at that time. You know, I believe in Revelation, and it certainly is a critical part of our church. But how do I tell this person that 
that was not a real revelation. Well, fortunately for Joseph Smith, he received a confirmation about the order of revelation uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ. He could receive that from the Lord. Um, and we get that in section 28. Let's read some of these verses. Behold, I say unto thee, Oliver, that it shall be given unto thee, that thou shalt be heard by the church in all things, whatsoever thou shalt teach them, by the Comforter concerning the revelations and commandments which I have given. But behold, verily, verily, I say unto thee, no one shall be appointed to receive commandments and revelations in this church, excepting my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., for he receiveth them even as Moses. And thou shalt be obedient unto the things which I shall give unto him, even as Aaron, to declare faithfully the commandments and the revelations with power and authority unto the church. And if thou art led at any time by the Comforter to speak or teach, or at all times by the way of commandment unto the church, thou mayest do, do it. But thou shalt not write by the way of commandment, but by wisdom. And thou shalt not command him who is at thy head and at the head of the church. For I have given him the keys of the mysteries and the revelations which are sealed until I shall appoint unto them another in his stead. Now this is important. That was verses 1 through 7. The principle is expressed first in, the, in these opening verses. Revelation for the entire church comes to the prophet. And the Lord will worry about making sure the prophet is accountable. But people are to receive the prophet with obedience. As with prophets in ancient times, they are the ones who have the authority to declare, Thus saith the Lord. Now, a person can still receive revelation themselves and in the capacity of assignments that they receive. But they should not take this fact as though they need no prophet or that they can pick and choose from what the prophet says. People should use this to persuade with wisdom and encourage people toward the covenant path. People ought not issue their own commandments. Let God do that through his prophets. Then we have, how do you deal with Hiram Page? There are some verses given for that, 11 through 13. And again thou shalt take thy brother Hiram Page between him and thee alone, and tell him that those things which he hath written from that stone are not of me, and that Satan deceiveth him. For behold, these things have not been appointed unto him, neither shall anything be appointed unto any of this church, contrary to the church covenants. For all things must be done in order, and by common consent in the church, by the prayer of faith. Okay, so particularly in the early days of the church, with so much inexperience with revelation, it would be difficult to know what was right. Correction was issued clearly and carefully, and in many ways this is still the case. It's important that each of us be willing to receive correction as it comes, and to note that if you stick with the prophet and the scriptures, you'll likely find fewer occasions in which correction is necessary. In the end, 
Of course, we can all have revelation. But don't let that deceive you into thinking the words of the prophets are optional or on the same level as your words. The Lord has always used prophets to authoritatively declare his will, and ancient prophets will still be a part of the future of Christ's church. Beware of any influence that would seek you to divide from his apostles and prophets. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Uh, We encourage you to look at the items we did not cover, both individually and with your family. Next week, also, please prepare for that. We will be looking at section 29, an account indicating that the end is near. Of course, as always, fight on. Thank you.